This is the Education Gadfly Show. This is literally is people's favorite. Yeah, yeah both well. of our listeners are very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, David. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Senior Policy Analyst at Excel and Ed, Aaron Lockett. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, last week, David and, and Russ Whitehurst made fun of me for my intro being so enthusiastic <laughs> and, and radio voice-ish. You going to yep. do that again, David? I, I, I am not. I thought that was wonderful, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. Did I pay him to say that? Uh, quite literally. <laughs> yep. So, David's David Griffith from the Fordham team joining us as well. And Aaron, we're so excited to talk to you about a recent report that you led there at Excel and Ed. So let's do that in Ed Reform Update. Okay, so Aaron, tell us about this recent report, College and Career Pathways, Equity and Access. Uh, basically sounds like there are a whole bunch of high schools out there that are not even making rigorous courses available to students. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So we um, looked at the Office of Civil Rights um, data collection from 2015-16. You know, one thing that we had been looking at over the past couple of years is course access in general and what access looked like um, according to the OCR data from 13-14. So we were interested in diving in deeper with the 15-16 data um, and really getting a better sense of which schools or what types of schools were not offering courses and really what that looked like broadly across the country. So let's. So when you talk about courses, let's talk about what, what you mean. Are we talking about advanced placement courses? Are we talking about other kinds of, uh, you know, certain kinds of math and science yep. courses? What, what are the kind of courses you're worried about? So the the CRDC collects information on core math, science, and then um, advanced courses or okay. acceleration courses. So um, for math, that's Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2, Advanced Math, which is things like pre-calc and statistics, okay. um, and Calculus. For science, that's Biology, Chemistry, Physics. And then we also looked at Advanced Placement courses, IB courses, and Dual Enrollment, um, but they also collect information on credit recovery, but we did not include that. And that's fine because you know what? The Thomas B. Fordham Institute is coming out with a study about that very topic soon. That is somewhat similar to a study that AI already came out with. Darn it. Uh, Anyways, but I digress. So, uh, so, all right. So what are some of the findings here? Uh, Do you you actually find high schools that are not, for example, uh, teaching algebra one? So um, we have two kind of major findings from the report. So one that far too many students lack access to those key courses that might prepare them for college and career. Um, And second is that that lack of access is inequitable. So it's worse for schools with high populations of minority students and schools with high populations of low-income students. You know, we did find, we used a really broad population, um, both in what type, what we defined as high school. So we looked at any school offering 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also used a broad population of schools themselves. So we included all schools, not just Mm -hmm the regular schools so everything from juvenile justice facilities Mm, special education schools alternative vocational but we did also divide that out um looking at those different types of schools because we really wanted to get a good idea of where that what that access looked like in Mm -hmm. different situations so but get specific here a little more specific if we can so i mean it's it's not too surprising that we see these differences by different types of schools we'll dig into that a bit but uh you know take something uh like some of these math courses. Mm-hmm. I mean, were there lots of schools out there, as I said before, that don't teach algebra or don't take, teach geometry? What? Yeah. I mean, so it, based on the report, 
I mean, reporting for, yeah. to the CRDC, um, you know, we found that uh, it was about 20% starting with algebra and then got up to about 55% for calculus. Um, and that was about the same okay. for AP courses, around 55% report not offering um, that course. And I think what we were most concerned about is both that steady incline for those um, course types. So mm-hmm. going through the math progression, going through the science progression progression and then also a steady incline in disparities between low income and higher income schools 20 percent of these schools not offering algebra is that possible david i mean i I think there's there's probably some question with the reporting right like particularly with that one right like it's possible it's like integrated math one or something like that i mean the ones that i found you'll have to remind me of the exact statistics the ones that were most worrisome to me were kind of the middle level ones mike where Mm -hmm. it was like it wasn't even ap biology or ap physics right it was just biology Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. physics and you'll have to remind me it was something like a third of kids don't offer those courses there are classes right that's correct third of schools um not not AP. Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> shocking. I, I mean, if, if this is true, I mean, this is, and, and, and we keep coming back to the, if this is true, the problem right. is we know that these uh, civil rights data have been found to have lots of errors. You know, this is the same data set where NPR famously found that there were these crazy numbers of, of schools uh, that reported shootings, for yeah. example, that, yeah. that never happened. So, you know, there is an issue about data entry and coding and, and all it, the it's like. It's possible so, that it's earth science, right, in some places, right. but I don't know. I mean, chemistry is, uh, I don't yeah. know, and, and physics? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, is one of the um, potential solutions that we offered up to states is that they should be auditing this information mm-hmm. on their own, not just for the core courses, but also for other courses that either they might require yeah. for graduation or are interested in their students pursuing. So things like, you know, we don't know if those courses are being offered online, for example, mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. schools. Um, and so having that information available on a state level, we think is really critical um, versus just relying on the CRDC, which only yeah. comes out every two years and yeah. might not be as reliable and might yeah. not truly capture what those courses are called within the state. And then, you know, this question around AP, I mean, if, you know, I, I do feel for those tiny little rural schools out there, there it might not be many kids that they serve, but there's probably a lot of high schools that are, you know, in terms of numbers, these tiny rural schools where they just may not have enough kids to be able to fill up, you know, an AP course or an advanced physics course. And, you know, hopefully they are allowing kids to do those kinds of courses online, uh, you know, and, but the other thing that people talk about or might push back about is to say, look, what about a school where you've got the vast majority of kids coming in to high school way behind uh, that you're just not going to have that many kids uh, who are going to be prepared to be able to take an AP class or be prepared to take physics because they don't have the math to be able to succeed in physics. I mean, and, and for us to create a, a kind of this assumption that, you know, they should offer it anyways, even if kids aren't ready. I mean, isn't that being a little bit of our, you know, typical sort of Pollyanna reformer problem? I mean, I would make the distinction between AP physics and physics, right? I okay. mean, those are, I, personally, those are two really different things to me, right? AP physics is calculus-based, right? Yeah. I mean, you really have to be pretty advanced, right, to do AP physics. But I don't know. I mean, graduating from high school without concept of momentum yeah. or energy, I, I, I don't know. I think some of these things, uh, it, there are questions about the data, but I, I have to believe that, you know, even even kids who may not be at the top of, the, of, the, of their class, there's some really core things in science that everybody needs to know and that I think kids could handle. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I want to know more. Yeah. I think the other thing too is, um, again, going back to, you know, 
states being able to know this information and you know not just not just from the crdc but you know looking at both those core courses and then also the non-core courses on you know what really truly is available within their schools and do they know if there are disparities between Mm -hmm. different types of schools i mean i think that's one of the biggest um things that we've heard back from states is Mm -hmm. like they're aware there are disparities they just weren't aware of kind of the gaps between them and then just i want to go back to your point on um rural schools as well we also looked at that we combined um um, we linked the CRDC to the Common Core of mm-hmm. Data as well to look at different like regional locales. Mm-hmm. We didn't really find a huge difference between um, access in um, rural, urban, suburban, and towns, um, which was also reinforced by a, a GAO report mm-hmm. that just came out. All right. Well, there you go. I have been proven wrong yet again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and, and here, and the state policies to make sure that the states do have some kind of online school that's serving up really good, high quality online courses in these, uh, you know, especially the more advanced courses so that kids have that option. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Aaron Lockett from Excel and Ed. Hope you come back sometime soon. Great. Thank you so much. And now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You know, we're excited to talk research, but I got to say, we've already been talking research. We've been talking data, data quality problems. Do people yeah. ever get tired of hearing about research? I don't think so. Not not anyone I know. <laughs> yeah, not, not certainly our listeners, because I do hear all the time that this is literally is people's favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah both wow. of our listeners are very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, David, you just, don't blame them. People out there are going to think they're the only listener. That's not true, people. It has gone way up. It you know, ever has since way up. Podcasts got more popular. <laughs> We have benefited from. We that. were trailblazers. I'm telling you, twice as many listeners. Not as that a few we like do uh, better than patting ourselves on the back. Uh, well, hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. I uh, know. I hurt my. I hurt my arm that way a lot. I got it. Okay, Amber. All what right. I'm going to give you an opportunity to beat your other favorite drum with Ooh. this research minute. So, Ooh, I'm uh, yeah. And and David's already smiling because <laughs> we hear you beat it a lot. But anyway, this is a study that examines the relationship between financial aid for college and college graduation rates. Mm-hmm. at a state flagship university. This came out of the AEFP journal. Okay, uh, It focuses on a state lottery-funded merit-based program in New Mexico that awards state residents with full tuition for eight up to eight semesters if they meet certain eligibility requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, analysts explore changes in these completion rates before and after the implementation of the scholarship for el- eligible resident students and a match sample of non-residents, thereby they're ineligible, mm-hmm. um, through a differences and differences matching design that attempts to mitigate all these observable differences that might be occurring between mm-hmm. the two groups. They use administrative data, including racial and gender demographics, family income, high school academic performance, which includes GPA, test scores, indication of remedial coursework. They even had that. And college academic performance by semester, they have credits earned, college GPA, and date of graduation. Mm-hmm. Okay. They analyze outcomes for all first-time, full-time entering freshmen at the University of New Mexico before and after the implementation of this scholarship program. And, and again, it's that. just merit-based? Open it is, to everybody? It is open to everyone, except you're going to hear the requirements in a second. All right. All right. Uh, they concentrate on the years 1995 to 1999, which covers a policy change by two years before and three years after. This right. was like two decades ago. Are you serious? <laughs> it's old. It's, this it's, is almost it's, my it's, college it's class. Older, oh older. It's at least two but decades you, longer than my I own. I mean, oh we're going to right. follow these yeah. kids. All right. The program pays full tuition for up to, again, eight full-time semesters. Uh, paid, paid. Who knows if it's still around? Paid full. It's, it's like still a whole around. new millennium. It's still around. Right. Okay. 
I uh, just actually looked into that. All right. um, up to 12 credits um, for any New Mexico resident. They got to earn a 2.5 GPA uh, in the first semester of college. So it's not starting in high school. First yeah. semester of college at any, and then they can get uh, tuition at any of the 16 public two-year or four-year colleges in the state. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it's continuous as long as that student maintains that course load and GPA. All right. And then they have this discussion on, this is kind of a low bar. Right, because a lot of other states have these lottery scholarship mm-hmm. programs, and they require kids to at least have a 3.0 or at least have a minimum SAT or uh, ACT mm-hmm. score. Right. But New Mexico does not. All right. So on the descriptive front, before I get into all this other stuff, only 58% of first semester students in New Mexico over those years met those requirements, and only 30% remained eligible at the end of their second year. Okay, so. It's not so great. Okay. The key finding is that there was no significance overall effect of the program on these rates, graduation rates. However, they detect large and statistically significant effects after disaggregating by high school performance, specifically compared to their ineligible match peers. They find a significant positive completion effect of 10 percentage points for academically well-prepared students. That is then offset by a large negative effect of 11.6 percentage points for less prepared students. Mm. The program also did not result in marginally prepared students completing degrees at a slower pace, because you might think that, okay, they just took a little longer. Uh, But there was no evidence of any change in time to degree associated Mm. with the program. All right. Then there's this long discussion on what do we take? Uh, Analysts posit that setting the bar too low in terms of this quote, merit aid may be detrimental to the success of the least academically prepared kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they also, since the program effectively erased the difference in tuition between the two and the four-year colleges, Mm -hmm. right? Because now there's just no difference, right? Um, It likely induced weaker students to take their chances on a more prestigious yet riskier academic path. Because like, why would I go to Santa Fe Community College Mm -hmm. if I can go to, you know, this flagship state university? Um, they go further and suggest, and then they get into the stuff like, what are we going to, what about these college, these free college proposals being mm-hmm. flounced around? Um, you know, maybe if we are going to do that, then we're also going to do this increased overmatching thing that occurred in this program. We might be opening that up to a larger mm-hmm. scale with drum. Here the drum is. <sighs> what, do you want to beat it a little bit? <laughs> Need to worry more about getting kids ready for college, not free college for everybody, whether they're ready or not. Is that the drum I'm supposed That's to beat? That's the drum you're beating. Oh, my goodness. No, it's really important. And, and look, how much money did we spend on those kids that left college with basically nothing? And was that really the best use of their time? But you know what I like, though? I did actually like that they made it eligible after their first semester, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of in high school. Yeah, that part oh, makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I quite got that. So they, what, they had to pay their first semester? Yeah. Or? Okay. yeah. And demonstrate a little and success. And demonstrate a little right. success. success. Okay. And you gotcha. actually, I was actually surprised nope. that they that there were only, thir- what was it, 30% of kids who remained eligible at the end of their second year? Mm-hmm. It seemed really low. You know, mm-hmm. especially if, like you're saying, you know, they, they were in there that first you know, semester. Yeah. So. I'm just amazed by the ne- the negative effect on poorly prepared students, it's, if that's a real finding. Mm-hmm, I mean, I, right. it wouldn't have shocked me to hear that, like, I was expecting you to say there's no effect, right? You mm-hmm. know, we, we right. threw money at them and they just they weren't in a position to, you know, right. take advantage of it. So yeah. we should only throw money at the kids who are really ready for college. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that it's worse than that, actually. Right. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, Mike, what do you think? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean really, I'd like to see. Yeah, I, I'm, I, that's a that's a counterintuitive well, that, that, finding. Okay, to me. But, yeah. but but you're right. So maybe there is this matching question, mm-hmm. uh, but it is. It's it's perplexing to understand what might 
be going on there with I, that. I, I guess I, I just, I mean, I I'm know. not questioning the study. I just, I guess I just right. want to see another no, study that I, found I that before mm-hmm. I really lean too hard on it. But 30% I mean, does not surprise me. I mean, look, New Mexico is one of the lowest achieving states in the country, mm-hmm. right? And so I bet if we looked down NAEP and you tried to figure out, okay, uh, you know, what percentage of kids are college ready, at least in the basic subjects of right. reading and math, you would find that somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 or 30%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look, yeah. the big takeaway Folks, we cannot give up on education reform, right? There is work to do. And, and, you know, we are in a moment right now where no politician seems to want to really work hard at fixing our schools Mm -hmm. via policy. The appetite for big policy initiatives is over. But that doesn't mean we can stop working on improving our K-12 system because this is what happens. Right. But I mean, and and do we think these free, quote, free things are really going to materialize? And Well, people are going to, yeah, I think the blue states are going to try some of this stuff and waste too much money. It's not going to do much good. I mean, it'll help a few kids. Great. But it's going to, you know, that money would be much better spent, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. on things that actually could move the needle in K-12 education. I hate agreeing with you, Mike. Right? I agree. Did with you, you just I mean, hear me? I'm saying spend more money on K twelve right, education. Right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I right. tend to agree. I don't know. I mean, there are countries, right? Where I mean, France college is basically free, free. right? But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. France is a really I, they do a really good job at the K twelve level. And I mean, even yeah. there, I guess I, if we dug in, I suspect we'd find there were challenges. Well, there's been backsliding that. supposedly. Yeah, uh, according mm-hmm. to Edie Hirsch. Yeah, yeah. And don't right. even get me started on how much I like Macron. But that is just just to try to poke <laughs> over Amber over there in the eye. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Well, very interesting stuff. Uh, thank you. And uh, some higher ed. It's higher ed. I know. I, like I, I almost hesitated to do higher ed because I think you should get on me. Like, where's the K-12? And I'm like, yeah, come yeah. on. We're dipping our no, toes no, in higher is, a little more over yeah, at Fordham. Yeah. This is, look. And then none of this is to say, I mean, there are some good studies that seem to indicate that for some kids, financial barriers are a real issue. Mm -hmm. And especially some small little grants can make a big difference. You know, that if they find themselves, you know, they just need a thousand dollars to get, you know, through the year and and they're Mm going to be able to complete. And so people are experimenting with providing those kinds of grants. That's great. That's great. But free college sounds great. uh, Is not actually addressing the problem. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I, part of me was a little bit encouraged that apparently, I mean, I feel like we hear so much about watering down expectations at four-year mm-hmm. universities, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, at least, I mean, maybe this is an indirect signal that they're not watering down, but so much, right, yeah. at that at that higher sort of level. I don't know. That is a I used to teach, half I, kind I, of way to I, say I it. I know, and I used to teach community college like before I came here, and um, it's actually oh, another story. But anyway, I actually was pleasantly surprised with some of the caliber of the kids I had yeah. at community college level. All right. Leave well, it there. That is all the time we've got for so much research and data this week. But until next week, I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.